open God's holy word to Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah 50. The word that Yahweh spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare it among the nations and proclaim, set up a banner and proclaim, kill it, conceal it not and say, Babylon is taken, Bel is put to shame, Merodach is dismayed, her images are put to shame, her idols are dismayed. For out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation and none shall dwell in it, both man and beast shall flee away. In those days and at that time, and in that time, declares Yahweh, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek Yahweh their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to Yahweh in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them. Their enemies have said, We are not guilty, for they sinned against Yahweh, their habitation of righteousness, Yahweh, the hope of their fathers. Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out from the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I am stirring and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country. And they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are like a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea shall be plundered. All who plunder her shall be sated, declares Yahweh. Though you rejoice, though you exult, O plunderers of my heritage, though you frolic like a heifer in the pasture, and neigh like stallions, your mother shall be utterly shamed. And she who bore you shall be disgraced. Behold, she shall be last of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Because of the wrath of Yahweh, she shall not be inhabited, but shall be in utter desolation. Everyone who passes by Babylon shall be appalled and hiss because of all her wounds. Set yourselves in array against Babylon all around, all you who bend the bow. Shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against Yahweh. Raise a shout against her all around. She has surrendered. Her bulwarks have fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For this is the vengeance of Yahweh. Take vengeance on her. Do to her as she has done. Cut off from Babylon the sower and the one who handles the sickle in, the t- in time of harvest. Because of the sword of the oppressor, everyone shall turn to his own people and everyone shall flee to his own land. Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. First the king of Assyria devoured him, and now at last Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has gnawed his bones. Therefore, thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm bringing punishment on the king of Babylon and his land as I punish the king of Assyria. I will restore Israel to his pasture, and he shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan, and his desire shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. In those days, and in that time, declares Yahweh, Iniquity shall be sought in Israel, and there shall be none. And sin in Judah, and none shall be found, for I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. Go up, go up against the land of Merithaim, and against the inhabitants of Picod. Kill 
and devote them to destruction, declares Yahweh. And do all that I have commanded you. The noise of battle is in the land and great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth is cut down and broken. How Babylon has become a whore among the nations. I set a snare for you and you were taken, O Babylon, and you did not know it. You were found and caught because you opposed Yahweh. Yahweh has opened his armory and brought out the weapons of his wrath. For the Lord Yahweh of hosts has a work to do in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from every quarter, open her granaries, pile up her up like heaps of grain and devote her to destruction. Let nothing be left of her. Kill all her bulls, let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, for their day has come, the time of their punishment. A voice, they flee and escape from the land of Babylon to declare in Zion, the vengeance of Yahweh our God, vengeance for his temple. Summon archers against Babylon, all those who bend the bow, and camp around her, let no one escape, repay her according to her deeds, do to her according to all that she has done, for she has proudly defied Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. Therefore her young men shall fall in her squares, and all her soldiers shall be destroyed on that day, declares Yahweh. Behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord Yahweh of hosts. For your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall with none to raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in the cities, and it will devour all that is around him. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast. They refuse to let them go. The Redeemer is strong. Yahweh of hosts is His name. He will surely plead their cause, that He may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword against the Chaldeans, declares Yahweh, and against the inhabitants of Babylon, and against her officials and her wise men. A sword against the diviners, that they may become fools. A sword against her warriors, that they may be destroyed. A sword against her horses and her chariots, and against all the foreign troops in her midst, that they may become women. A sword against all her treasures, that they may be plundered. A drought against her waters, that, it may, that they may be dried up, for it's, it is a land of images, and they are mad over idols. Therefore wild beasts shall dwell with hyenas in Babylon, and ostriches shall dwell in her. She shall never again have people, nor inhabited, for all generations." As when, Yah- as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, declares Yahweh, so no man shall dwell there. No son of man shall sojourn in her. Behold, a people comes from the north, a mighty nation, and many kings are stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. They lay hold of bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring of the sea. They ride on horses, arrayed as a man for battle against you, O daughter of Babylon. The king of Babylon heard the report of them, and his hands fell helpless. Anguish seized him, pain as of a woman in labor. Behold, like a lion coming up from the thicket of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I will suddenly make them run away from her, and I will appoint over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Therefore hear the plan that Yahweh has made against Babylon and the purposes that he has formed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the little ones of their flock shall be dragged away. Surely their folds shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of the capture of Babylon, the earth shall tremble, 
and her cry shall be heard among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, grant us eyes to see what will be shaken and the kingdom that we've received that is unshaken and to live appropriately and to hear this word of the destruction of Babylon then, knowing the redemption that's promised to your people therein. Give us grace now to hear this word, bolster our faith, purge us of our idolatry that remains, and wet our hearts to you and to the kingdom eternal. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever read a book, had several chapters, and you sped through the bulk of them, short chapters, one after another, you speed through them, only to come to those last remaining chapters to find out they are many times longer than any that have come before. Like you just slog through those last ones, it feels like. This book within a book that we're now in is something like that. They're the oracles against the nations, that portion of Jeremiah running from chapters 46 to 51, is a book within this book, and this book has nine chapters. Don't let man's uninspired chapter insertions fool you, this oracle, the oracles against the nations has nine chapters. 46.1 comes as the heading for the whole book, the word of Yahweh that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the nations. So it's concerning the nations, and then the other chapter headings are just clear as can be. It is easy to break down this portion of Jeremiah. Chapter 1, about Egypt, 46.2. Chapter 2. Concerning the Philistines, 47.1. Chapter 3, concerning Moab, 48.1. Chapter 4, concerning the Ammonites, 49.1. Chapter 5, concerning Edom, 49.7. Chapter 6, concerning Damascus, 49.23. Chapter 7, concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor, 49.29. Chapter 8, concerning Elam, 49.34. And now we come to the final chapter of this book. Oracles against the nations, as man has tiled it. Final chapter, then, is comprised of both chapters 50 and 51. You have the single heading for both of these chapters as you have them divided. The single heading in verse 1. The word Yahweh spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans. So the final chapter of this book, then, is not just simply longer than any of the others. It's nearly as long as all the others combined. The final chapter of the oracles against the nations is nearly as long as the rest of the book. 110 verses compared to 121 verses as man has chopped them up. Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible, again, not according to man's chapter and verse divisions, but according to God's inspired words. It's the longest book. And now we've come to what is nearly the last word as far as it's arranged, and as far as it's, uh, it concerns the happenings that are going to occur that Jeremiah has spoken of. The last word, and it is a long word. And though that this last word isn't as long as the whole book, 
of Jeremiah, it is still, in effect, the last and a very long word. It, it's emphatic in that way. But as we'll see, this last word and the victory that it speaks of, we need to understand that this is no underdog victory that's held before us here in the destruction of Babylon. The hope that's held out for Judah is not that of a Marxist revolution where the oppressed overtake their oppressors. No, this is no underdog victory because it's not Judah who overthrows Babylon. It's Yahweh. And Yahweh's no underdog. Yahweh was not only expected to win, He is certain to win. What's surprising as you read of His victory here is not that He wins, but that He turns His victory over some sinners to be an expression of grace and mercy to other sinners. That His judgment comes as Mercy. His judgment on some sinners comes as mercy on other sinners. The judgment of Babylon, as this chapter makes clear, and I believe it's, it's coming as this cap to the oracles against the nations so that you understand them in total. God's judgment against the nations is as much about Israel's redemption as it is Babylon's destruction. As we get into our text... Babylon's demise, you see, is to be no private matter. It is emphatically to be heralded. Declare among the nations and proclaim. Set up a banner and proclaim. Conceal it not and say. Babylon is taken. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. As this comes within the context of the oracles against the nations, understanding that Babylon is the dominant world power, that many of these nations that we've spoken about and the destruction that came against them came from the hand of the Babylonians, that they were made to drink of the cup of God's wrath as Jeremiah spoke these words, in sense, being the power behind Babylon then coming to take them over then now this, this, this word of her destruction is proclaimed far and wide to all these nations such that it comes as good news to them. The fall of Babylon is set up as good news for the nations. Babylon is used by God to make many, most, all of these nations that we've spoken of drink of the cup of His wrath. And now, as Jeremiah 25 said, she herself is made to drink from that very cup that she's handled. Jeremiah 25, you have this command for Jeremiah to make the nations drink of it, and then a long list. Many of the nations, well, every nation that we've looked at is contained in that list in Jeremiah 25. And then it, it ends this way. Make all the kings drink of this, List them specifically. And then it says, All the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth. They're to be made to drink. And after them, the king of Babylon shall drink. This is the climactic act of God's judgment. As Jeremiah was speaking of the nation's drinking of this cup. In John's revelation, proclamation is also made concerning Babylon's downfall. 
There she's not foremost the conqueror of the nations, though she is spoken of in that way, but it's understood in a, in a different way. She's not foremost presented as the conqueror of the nations, as she is the corrupter of the nations. And so, Revelation 17, 18 speaks of her as the woman who is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. But what, gets, what becomes plain as you read along in those chapters of Revelation in, in that section is that the way she has dominion over them is by them participating in her idolatry, her immorality. Her promiscuous culture dominates the world such that they well at her demise. But... Revelation 18 shows a different response to Babylon's fall. Revelation 18, 1 through 3. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. Excuse me, this is the first proclamation. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And following that, you see, you see the kings of the earth, you see the merchants of the earth, you see the seamen all welling, weeping, lamenting because Babylon has fallen. And then Revelation 19 gives you the contrasting response. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged her blood of his servants. Of his servants. Let this news then resound still to the ends of the earth. Babylon is taken. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. Seventy years, God's people would be in captivity. But this proclamation has already been made, had already been made, and it was sure. Babylon would fall. Saints, it is sure still. Babylon will fall. God's people remain exiles on this earth. Babylon still stands. But the proclamation resounds. Let it go forward to the ends of the earth. Saints, as we carry the good news of Jesus Christ out to the ends of the earth, we must necessarily, in order to set up that good news, be declaring the oracles against the nations and the destruction of Babylon that stands. As Revelation demonstrates, when falls the city, so falls our God. Whenever Babylon is taken, Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. When falls the city, so falls her gods. When the city is destroyed, the beast is cast down. They're brought down together. Satan in 
2 Corinthians 4.4 is said to be the prince of the power of the air. Excuse me, that's Ephesians 2.2. The, the prince of the power of the air who's still at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh. He's the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says he's the God of this world who blinds the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Whenever Babylon falls, so will fall her God. They will come down together. And saints, we need to then go out into this world, not just with this proclamation ready to come forward from our mouths, but with it with it actually being the eyes through which we look at everything, knowing the government that is not ultimately behind everything, but there is a, there is a government behind everything we see. And there is a wicked world figured in Babylon, and she will fall, and her God will fall with her. This world will be judged. All false worship will end. God will be exalted above all. And the way God will do this immediately, in this context, we're told, is by bringing nations up against Babylon from out of the north, verse 3. The north, remember, was the way that Babylon was referred to time and time again early in Jeremiah's ministry. Jeremiah 1.14, out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all all the inhabitants of the land, land being the land of Judah. Jeremiah 4.6, raise a standard toward Zion, flee for safety, stay not, for I bring from the north. I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. Jeremiah 6.22-23, behold, the people is coming from the north country, a great nation is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. They lay hold of bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring sea. They ride on horses set in array as a man for battle against you, O daughter of Zion. You, you see many of the images that are brought into this very prophecy against Babylon now. Now Babylon is south. Matters not how high up you think you are. God can always bring a higher power to bring you down to size. Next, in verses 4 through 5, it's made plain that Babylon's destruction is also the day of Israel's redemption. The day of Babylon's destruction, also the day of Israel's redemption. Yes, you see Israel, Judah, weeping, but these are the tears of repentance as they're then seeking their God, they're seeking the place of His dwelling. They're entering into covenant with Him, an everlasting covenant. And though here... It's true, the people are entering into covenant with God, but this is the self-same covenant. And the only reason they're able to enter into it is because God initiates it graciously. It's the everlasting covenant He spoke of in chapter 32, saying, Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. 
This is the same covenant that Hebrews speaks of in its benediction, telling us, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. Now hear the harmony between what follows, the blessing that's coming out of relationship to the blood of the eternal covenant, what we just read of being promised in Jeremiah 32. May He equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The reason the people of God weep and seek and enter into covenant. The reason that they're secure. The reason why that covenant will not be forgotten isn't to be found in themselves. But God's gracious work and promise, His wholehearted covenant love gathers them. He'll do it with all His soul, He says. His wholehearted covenant love puts the fear of Him into their hearts. His wholehearted covenant love ensures that they will not turn away. His wholehearted covenant love equips them and works in them, in them that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus. If you have any impressions otherwise, look at the sorry state out of which He redeems them in verses 6 and 7. They were like lost sheep. Their shepherds, their, their kings, their priests, their false prophets have led them astray. And they're not innocent in this. They willingly follow this leadership going from mountain to hill, we're told. Which means going from high place to high place in their perverse, idolatrous worship. The result of the sheep being led by such shepherds is that they're devoured. Wolves excuse their predation by saying, well, they sinned. But here we see judgment is coming upon them. Sinners cannot excuse their sin by others' sins. Even whenever their sin, as all sin ultimately is, is used by God for His good purposes. And that's even acknowledged and recognized in any way. You cannot excuse your sin by others' sins. But now Judah is called on to flee Babylon, verses 8 through 10. Previously, Judah was told, flee Jerusalem, surrender to Babylon, go into captivity. And now they're told, flee Babylon. Flee Jerusalem because I'm judging it, I'm judging you. Flee Babylon because I'm judging Babylon and redeeming you. Again, Revelation utilizes this imagery with a call for repentance whenever the cosmic Babylon is judged. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. This is a proclamation that's to be made right now. The destruction of Babylon is sure. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Revelation 18, 4-5. Isaiah 
also links the fall of the city to the redemption of God's people with a call to flee. Chaldea. Isaiah 48.20 Go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it to the end of the earth. Say, Yahweh has redeemed His servant Jacob. Flee? Why? Why flee Babylon? Doesn't highlight in that instance because I'm going to destroy Babylon. Flee Babylon. Why? Because I'm redeeming my people. Saints, flee Babylon not only because her destruction is sure, but because the redemption of God's people is certain. Flee Babylon, not simply because that city will fall, but because the new Jerusalem will fall from heaven, all things will be made new, and eternally we will dwell in the presence of our King. Do not anchor yourself to this age that is fading, but to the age that is already breaking into the present because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're far enough in that I hope you you see the significance of what the Scriptures are doing here. Other world powers would rise and dominate the landscape, ruling even over Judah. They would have more sprawling kingdoms than Babylon did. Persia, Greece, Rome. But none of them become this icon, this image of the world and all of its wickedness. Of, of, of the world as it is governed and, and its purposes and intents, none of them become that kind of image. Babylon remains so. Why? Because it's Babylon who destroyed the city of God. It's Babylon who destroyed the temple of God. We see God taking vengeance for His temple here. It's Babylon who spread His people out to the edges of the earth. And so do you see how appropriate it is as God is gathering His elect from the earth for the good news of their redemption to be tied to the destruction then of Babylon in particular. Next we see Babylon's shame, disgrace, demoted, verses 11 through 16. Babylon who has plundered Yahweh's heritage exalts, rejoices, and frolics But it matters not because her mother will be ashamed and disgraced. Babylon's fall will be such. She'll be so humiliated on the battlefield that not even her mama will own her. Reminiscent of the oracle against Egypt, a slew of battle orders follow only this time. It's clear Yahweh is giving the orders in verses 14 through 16. Arrows fly because she sinned against Yahweh. Her fortifications are broken because Yahweh is taking vengeance. She who claimed innocence in destroying Judah for her sins is now judged by her own standard. Brought down. The focus shifts back to Israel with verses 17 through 20. She's portrayed there as a singular hunted sheep. 
God has one sheep, and many lions have gone out after her. What Assyria doesn't devour, Babylon gnaws on, verse 17. You remember the prophet Nathan told the parable to David about a poor man who had one dear and precious lamb. And a rich man who had many, but whenever he had a guest, he was unwilling to slaughter one of his own, so he took the poor man's sheep and slaughtered it instead. That provides an interesting place of comparison and contrast in relation to what's set set forward here. God, too, has just one sheep. But it's not because he's poor. It's because he's rich in mercy. You see, this, this lamb is no innocent little lamb, no innocent sheep. The sheep has strayed. And even so, it remains precious in his sight and his covenant love unfailing. God is no worthless shepherd like the shepherds he's just indicted that have led Israel astray. David at his best was only a faint shadow whenever he struck that lion and delivered the lamb from its mouth. But like that instance, God would clothe himself in humility and weakness to defeat our unassailable foe, to slay the giant that taunts God's people. The predator will be punished, verse 18. The lamb will be restored to its pasture, and they are satisfied. Can the judgment of sinners be good news for sinners? Yes, because for God's chosen people, there is, verse 20, pardon. In those days and in that time, declares Yahweh, iniquity shall be sought in Israel and there shall be none. And sin in Judah and none shall be found for I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. How can this be? Because for the sin-stained lamb, a substitute spotless one was provided. They receive His righteousness. He bears away their judgment. Paul said, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We have forgiveness through His blood. Judgment fell on Christ. Can judgment be good news for sinners? Yes, it fell on Christ for forgiveness for our sins. And because we have that, it will then fall on sinners to deliver us from sin in total. The next section, the longest as I've divided it up, verses 21 through 40, is replete with martial imagery, military uh, metaphors. It opens with mockery, verse 21. Marathaim and Pekod are not precisely the names of the Babylonian, well, first, a Babylonian uh, district, and second, a Babylonian people group. They're not strictly the names as they would say them. They are a Hebrew play on the names for those, meaning double rebellion and land of doom. 
And the mockery continues because the hammer that God has used to break will now itself be broken. God uses the hammer and then He breaks the hammer. Speaking also of Babylon, Isaiah said, Yahweh has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. Being used by God is no indication of His favor. Judas was used by God. Pilate was used by God. Nebuchadnezzar is used by God. Satan is used by God. We are all, every one of us, creatures used by our God. All men are tools, but some are sons. All are used, but some are redeemed. Though the tool of Babylon is used, it remains basically, insofar as it's concerned, in opposition to God. Verse 24. A snare I set for you, and you were taken, O Babylon, and you did not know it. You were found and caught because you opposed Yahweh. Yahweh is using her, even though the tool in His hand is rebellious. All of its rebellion is for naught. It accomplishes nothing except God's will, and causes her to be in a state such that, at the end, she's caught unaware by God's judgment. And the consequence is that Yahweh opens up His armory against her. Can there be any more terrifying thought than Yahweh opening up His armory for His wrath to come against you? The height of man's military might is a nuclear missile. Sure, man can hurl a missile at 15,000 miles per hour, causing roughly 475 kilotons of damage. For comparison, Hiroshima was 12 kilotons. Sure, sounds impressive. Until you consider that God is hurling billions of balls of nuclear fusion at speeds of over 500,000 miles per hour, each producing every second as much energy as trillions of our bombs. Not with short-lived mushrooms, but with enduring, unendurable heat. And the aftermath of this is that her granaries are destroyed, her bulls, are slaughtered, none escape, verses 26 through 27. Babylon is to be repaid for her deeds, verse 29, and this is the horror all men must face before a holy God, Romans 2, 6. He will render to each one according to his works. Jesus warned the Son of Man is, go is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay to each person according to what he has done. Man can earn nothing from God's hand. But he so easily can fall into, indeed he's born into, the deepest of debt. Man's works are finite 
in nearly every measurement, save by his evil, he incurs a debt that is immeasurable. Because God is infinitely worthy of all glory and praise. And so it is that Babylon, repayment for her means being cast into a hell where the smoke of her torment will go up forever and ever. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Proud Babylon will be brought down, verses 31 through 32. None will raise her. But for his oppressed people, he says, he is their redeemer, verse 33 and 34. His name is Yahweh. He is strong. He will plead their cause and he will give them rest. And then you see this armory. It's full of swords, verses 35 through 40. All that she boasts in is cut down. She is left humiliated. In the final section, verses 41 through 46, Babylon's destruction again, you see, comes out of the north, verse 41. And immediately while this refers to the uh, Medo-Persian Empire, those nations that she has absorbed and allied with as she comes against Babylon, though that's true, one problem that a lot of scholars have with these prophecies is that whenever the Persians overtake Babylon, it's not with some prolonged and devastating siege, such as what Babylon brought against Jerusalem. Nor is it with some decisive battle and victory, such as whenever Babylon defeated Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish. It didn't happen that way at all. Babylon was celebrating. They were in the midst of a huge celebration. And the celebration really didn't quit once she was conquered. How is that? Well, when Cyrus, king of Persia, came, he diverted the flow of the, the, the Euphrates, ran through Babylon. He diverted the flow so that the water level was low enough that they came in through the waterway. He came into the city and he was styling himself as a liberator. And indeed, he was received as such because the people of Babylon were really quite sick of their kings at that point. Cyrus comes in and he kills uh, Nabonidus, his co-regent eldest son, Belshazzar. Babylon's taken that easily. It wasn't until many years later that Xerxes, also a king of Persia, but it was many years later that Xerxes would level the city and from there its glory would diminish quickly, such as it becomes the desolate place that we know it to be today. How are we to make sense of this? One answer, and a very helpful one, whenever you're looking at prophecy in the Old Testament, predictive prophecy, is to realize the telescoping nature of prophecy. So the prophet will, will receive word of this broad and deep vision concerning the destruction of Babylon and the redemption of God's people, you see. It receives this, this vision of a broad and deep prophetic landscape, if you will. And so whenever the prophet tells us that there's a lake and there's a mountain, we shouldn't think that that means the lake is right by the mountain. The lake might be very near and the mountain far off in the distance. And that's how they will relay the happenings that are to proceed. All this is very true. But as these shadows come to their fullness in Christ, they will come not as a long extended rain spread out over 
months to gather the expected total. It will come as a flood. We're told, verses 44 through 46, Behold, like a lion coming up from the thicket of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I will suddenly make them run away from her. And I will appoint over her whomever I choose. In Revelation, the kings of the earth lament over Babylon, saying, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Revelation 18.10 Babylon here faced Cyrus. But one day she will face the Lion of Judah springing up from the thicket of Jordan. The chosen one that the unmatchable Lord of hosts appoints over all the nations is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so Yahweh's plans, you see, will be completed against her such that the earth does indeed tremble And the cry of her destruction is heard among the nations. See, the redemption of Judah, it's often styled here as Israel, which is one clue at the scope of what's intended. The redemption of Israel, not just Judah, but that kingdom that's faded into seeming non-existence, Israel. The redemption of Israel out of Babylon is often styled as a second exodus. That's the kind of imagery that's, that's evoked by it again and again. But Judah in the second exodus, though it's promised she would, in the second exodus she never comes to the height of glory and splendor that she knew after the first exodus. Yes, the second one is a type of the first one. But both of them are types of one yet to fully have come. With Christ's first advent, He brought salvation from our sins. And with His second, He will bring salvation from sinners. We are already called out. But we're exiles. We are sojourners. Making our way home. The proclamation of Babylon's destruction is made. Go out from her. Don't participate in anything having to do with her. She will be leveled flat. Flee! That's where we are right now. And she will be brought down. And the city of God will fall. Heaven and earth will be wed. This book that is so full of judgment now is filled to overflowing. And it comes as good news. The people of God At this point, those who are believing and trusting Christ 
The people of God have heard judgment pronounced upon them for decade upon decade upon decade, just from Jeremiah. But they go forward with this full word of judgment, which is their hope. Babylon will fall. God's people will be redeemed. And the answer is because judgment fell on Christ. And now in Christ, we're united to Him. When judgment comes again, it comes as His hand on His enemies delivering His people. Praise be to His name. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come as sinners confessing we deserve nothing of this judgment which we've just read except for it to fall on us as sinners, not as your people. We deserve the judgment that has been read of for chapter after chapter as we have it before us. The judgment that Jeremiah pronounced upon your people for their idolatry and their wickedness, their covenant unfaithfulness, their infidelity, their unbelief, their hypocrisy, their formally worshiping you with their tongues while their hearts are really our hearts wandering on the hills and high places of our immorality and fleshly lust. But thank you for the the precious blood of Christ, the blood of the eternal covenant, for the full and free pardon that's found in your Son who bore judgment for us and who will bring judgment for us. How great your mercy that turns even your full wrath and judgment to our redemption and salvation. May we go forward with hearts indebted to you and to those among the nations who have not heard to tell them Babylon will fall and there is salvation in your King. And grant repentance and faith, Father, as we declare that word. In Christ's name we ask this. Amen.